Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from the University of North Dakota, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your calls on how to do the same. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai, your host. Delighted to be here as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour, and we're doing something a little special this week. The University of North Dakota Communications Department has invited me to come speak on their campus at one of their classes about podcasting. Now, if you've ever wanted to start a podcast and you want Noah's quick and dirty version of it, or if you just want to hear me air Chris's dirty laundry, then this is the episode for you. Now, we're going to be using a different mic than we would ordinarily use to do the show, so the audio might sound a bit different. And if that's not for you, don't worry. The published version of this episode is a special edition. So I'm on my way to the airport after I'm done here to catch a flight for Linux Best Northwest. And so to accommodate my traveling schedule, we are going to release this episode as a special edition on Tuesday. But the Ask Noah show never misses your call. So the show you expect will be live Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Central. And that episode will come out later this week. Good morning. morning. How are you guys? I'm going to stand in front of here, I think. I'm going to come this way. So, as Tim said, my name is Noah Chalaya. I am the president and founder of AltaSpeed Technologies. It's a local IT contracting firm here in Grand Forks. And I'm also an on-air personality at KEQQ 88.3 FM in Grand Forks, uh, where I host the Ask Noah Show. It's a weekly call-in show where I take questions about technology and teach people how to do what I do. That show is available as a downloadable podcast. Now, does anyone here host a podcast or has hosted a podcast in the past? So, one, two, three, four. So, you uh, picture it over here. What uh, What's the name of your podcast? Uh, two droids and a mic. Two droids and a mic. I love it. What's it about? Uh, Star Wars. Awesome. Uh, Redshirt. Yeah, I like sports material. Sports material. Great, outstanding. Who else? I work for Jupiter Broadcasting, and if you would have asked me. 30 days before I started podcasting, or even five days before I started podcasting, if I had any interest in podcasting or if I'd ever thought about it, I would have probably told you no. I fell into it, so to speak. I was approached by one of the early entrepreneurs of podcasting, the owner and founder of Jupiter Broadcasting, uh, Mr. Chris Fisher. And Jupiter Broadcasting is a podcast network for technology shows. It was founded in 2008 in May. And it's home to some of the world's largest Linux and open source related podcasts. Now, the interesting thing about uh, podcasting is, as we're going to talk about over and over during our discussion today, there are no standards. There are no set standards. And that can work for or against you. But in the early days of podcasting, 10 years ago, it was very difficult to get a podcast up and running. Today, we have a lot of tools and a, uh, and, and a lot of training, and there's a lot of resources available back then not so much and so chris was one of the early pioneers that really kind of defined what podcasting was the thing that i am most proud about about jupiter broadcasting is that the entire studio runs on linux show of hands anyone heard of linux okay so a couple um the it doesn't matter for our discussion today 
we don't want to dive in real deep into Linux and open source, but suffice to say, Linux is a more secure, more stable, faster alternative to Windows or Mac OS. And those of us that work in the IT sphere, we tend to run Linux on our laptops. My laptop is running Linux. And the advantage to Linux running uh, and the podcast network running on Linux, it means that all of the tools and techniques that I'm going to show you today that I'm going to talk about are all available to you and largely at no cost. And so you're going to be able to take these techniques and tools and take them home and apply them to, to your podcast. So what is podcasting? Well, the truth is we don't really have a good definition of podcasting. Podcasting means different things to different people. Is uploading a video to YouTube, if I do it episodically, is, is that a podcast? If I take an rec audio recording and I just put it on iTunes and have other people download it, is that a podcast? If I upload it to SoundCloud? What if I didn't upload it at all? What if I just attached it to email and sent it to a, a list of family and friends? Am I, am I doing a podcast? We don't have a standard definition of podcasting. And I was at a podcast convention late last year, and it was very interesting how even some of the most renowned, most prolific podcasters don't agree on what the definition of a podcast is. But for the discussion today, we're going to use the definition, the practice of using the internet to make digital recordings of broadcast available for downloading to a computer or mobile device. Put more simply, we record ourselves, we put it on the internet, other people download it. Now, the lack of standards in podcasting is a double-edged sword. It can work both for you and against you. And we're going to show you how you can use the fact that there aren't any standards in podcasting to your advantage and to promote your podcast and make it stand out about above all the rest. In the traditional broadcast sphere, when, when I'm working at the radio station, we have a defined length of the show, right? You're going to go on air, we have the legal ID for the first 10 seconds, and then the news run for three minutes, and then uh, you have the bumper music, and then you talk for 14 minutes and 31 seconds, and then we cut to a break and we read this many ads, and this is how you read the ads, and these are the ads that you'll read, and this is the copy, the verbatim words that you say. And we have identified the target audience, so if you're hosting a conservative talk radio show, we know the demographics of people who like to listen to conservative talk radio. If you want to listen to progressive talk radio, we know the demographics of people that want to listen to progressive talk radio. And we can identify that audience and then we tailor those shows and we only run shows that meet that target demographic. The interesting thing about podcasting is it throws all of that out the window. So you don't have to have a defined target audience. Your target audience might be 10 people or 15 people or maybe a couple hundred people and because podcasting traverses both local boundaries right here in the United States as well as international boundaries as Jupiter Broadcasting has proven we can you can make a podcast about anything essentially and uh, as, as with all industries there are some industry best practices and we're going to talk about those and some of the things that you can do to ensure that a podcast succeeds and determine where a podcast might not succeed and maybe to avoid doing it altogether. So reasons you probably shouldn't do a podcast. I have this fantastic idea that nobody has ever done before. That's a bit egocentric to be honest with you, right? If you have an idea and nobody has done that particular topic before as a podcast, you need to be asking yourself, why is that? Why is it that nobody has done this before. Why is nobody making money doing this? Why is it not worth somebody's time? 
Now, the answer might be, in the case of my show, we don't, we knew going into it that it was going to cost a lot of money. It's a talk show. We take calls from callers. We answer questions, right? That meant that we had to invest in infrastructure to be able to handle those phone calls, to screen those phone calls, to process the audio because you never know what you're going to get. Um, we had to invest in infrastructure to drop the caller off the air and provide a delay so that if they used file language, it wouldn't go out over the air. All of those things had to be invested in. And we knew that the target audience of a bunch of geeks that want to listen to a radio show about technology was going to be fairly limited. And so going into it, we knew that it wasn't going to be a huge revenue generator. And that was okay. I was okay with that. But the, we knew why it hadn't been done before. Because it was a very difficult model to capitalize on. And so often when there isn't money, there's not a lot of places that are willing to fund it or do it. I want to make a lot of money using the internet. If I do podcasting, then I can do my podcast from anywhere and I can make a, boat, a boatload of money. Let me tell you the secret to making a small fortune using podcasting. Start with a big fortune. The problem is the noise level in podcasting is very, very high. If you look around, what you'll find is that there are a lot of people. Everybody that has a harebrained idea decides that they should do a podcast about it and puts it on the internet. And so you have thousands, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people making independent content. And so if you're trying to get into podcasting for the purpose of making money, it's probably a bad idea. That's not to say that you can't make money doing podcasting. Again, Chris Fisher, owner operator of Jupiter Broadcasting, has found a way to make a living hosting a, a, you know, a, a, a whole network of shows, and he employs a fairly decent-sized staff that also produce podcasts for a living. So it is possible, but you shouldn't enter into it with the presupposition that you're going to make money. In fact, all of the podcasters that I know and all of the podcasters that I've ever talked to have all told me that they started without any interest in money. It just happened to capitalize later on. They, they, they found a way to... To, to generate revenue off of it. But it wasn't, it wasn't what they set out to do. I have 10,000 listeners. A lot of people think if you get 5,000 views on YouTube or 10,000 views on YouTube, that's, that's you know, fantastic. I have that, now I have a successful show. Clearly the show has shown success. And it is. Congratulations. Because if you can get even 100 people to listen to your show, that is far and away better than the opportunities that we have had in the past as independent content creators, as broadcasters, right? The chances that you would get uh, the opportunity to speak into a microphone, you're probably talking on some AM station at 3 in the morning that nobody was listening to because they were, you know, had the power of literally an incandescent light bulb at night. Uh, that was your option before. So today you have the ability to reach a very large audience. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to generate any revenue. Again, noise level, very, very high. So if you approach an advertiser and say, I want you to pay me to do my show, they're going to say, well, we have 100,000 people making shows that have 10,000 views. We don't care about your show. So you're going to have to be you know, 30, 40, 50,000 before an advertiser is even going to consider you. So just keep that in mind. Don't enter it into it for money. Here are some good reasons to start a podcast. I have a passion and I want to share it. Again, in, similarly with all podcasters I've ever talked to, myself included, the one key thing that gets us started doing a show is passion. When you really believe in something, when you really care about something, 
there is a good re there, there are other people that will want to hear you talk about it and it will be enjoyable to hear you talk about it so if you have a deep passion for something you should really consider starting a podcast i could improve upon an existing pro uh, uh, upon an existing show I have a mental list in my head of podcasts that are actually pretty terrible podcasts they're not very good but there is a lot of potential there there are I think there is an audience for that particular podcast and I think uh, I could make it a better show the reason it's not succeeding right now the reason that it's not getting more views is because it's not done properly it's either being done with poor audio quality the hosts aren't engaging they're not talking to their audience there's there's a there's a plethora of reasons and I have in the back of my head these you know four or five podcasts that I've kind of tracked and said if I was gonna start a second show this is what I would do because I could do it better if if that is if that's a reason that you want to start a podcast that's a great reason but you have to be careful because this again it can be a, a dangerous thing. I travel to a lot of conferences, and obviously, I everything I'm, I'm always show, I'm always promoting the show. And I'd say probably once every conference I attend, I will get somebody that will come up to me and say, "Hey, man, I really like what you do. Huge fan of the show. I just wanted to to know uh, I'm going to start doing what you're doing because uh, it, you know it, it doesn't seem that hard, and and I think I could do it, you know, too or or better than you." And I'm simultaneously deeply offended and, and, and flattered because the people that do this and do it very well make it look easy. But, it, you know, there's, and, and I'll get people that come up to me and they'll say, I wish I could work for an hour a week and, and take in the amount of money that you do. And I say, well, I wish I could work for an hour a week and take in the money, amount of money I do too, but that's not the case, right? Show prep starts from the time the microphone gets turned off after I'm done with the show and continues all throughout the week until I sit down to go on the air next time. This is show prep right now. The reason the camera is here, the reason the recording equipment to the microphone is because this is probably, part of this anyway is probably going to, maybe all of it will wind up in the show. Everything is show prep. Uh, and so it requires a lot of work. What you might find is you might look at it from the outside and say, I could do that better. I could improve upon that. But when you actually dig into it, you might find it's actually harder to do than you originally thought. So how can you make a great show what makes a great podcast well the first thing is be consistent be consistent if you tell your audience I'm gonna have a new show for you and we release on Mondays you better have a new episode every single Monday if you can't commit to a weekly schedule commit to a monthly schedule we release on the first of the month and and by golly you better have a new episode every single month if you miss an episode pe uh, that people expected to come out, oftentimes they won't come back to you. They'll go on to the next podcast, they'll start listening to the next show. And that can be really challenging when you're first starting out because you're not getting a lot of feedback, you're not getting a lot of praise, so to speak, and so you, you start to question yourself. Is anyone listening? Is, does anyone care? Is, am I wasting my time? Is this valuable? And the trick is to be consistent, to stay consistent, to keep going. One of the things that I have noticed about people that start podcasting is the first 10, I'd say 10 to 15 episodes are fairly easy to do because you got a lot of drive, you have a lot of energy, there's, the, the world looks open to you because you've never talked about any of these things before and so, you know, it's, it's an exciting opportunity to, to dive in. And what you find out is after 10 or 15 episodes, it becomes difficult to continue generating content. And I'm fortunate because my day job as an IT contractor means that I 
have new experiences every day, I'm tackling new problems, I'm dealing with different clients, and I'm able to take all of that experience and then funnel it into a, condense it down into a one-hour radio show on Tuesday nights. And that, that's been a very symbiotic relationship. It's worked very well for me. But if you don't have that, then you need to find a source to generate content, some way that you can get new content for your listeners. I have a couple friends that do a podcast, and the way that they do it is they meet once a month, and they'll record four or five episodes, and then they will produce it. And the advantage of podcasting over traditional like FM radio is when you're doing an FM radio show, it's all live, right? Like you hit the button and you're going live and now you just have to be on the air and you have to talk. And any mistakes that come out, the audience heard them and there's nothing you can do. If there was content that you didn't really, you weren't happy with the way you presented it, nothing you can do about that. If a guest says something that you didn't like, nothing you can do about that. Again, no standards in podcasting. We keep coming back to that. That ch podcasting changes all of that because you have the ability to pre-record your episode. You have the opportunity to listen back through your episode that you've recorded and make changes where you see fit. And if you're producing a podcast, every one of you should be listening to every single episode that you put out for your listeners. You should do a listen back before you publish and send it out to your listeners. You'd be surprised what you catch. You'd be surprised what you pick up because you will find that you are your own worst critic. You'll, you'll sit there and drill down on yourself and say, man, that really drove me nuts when I said it this way, or I have to stop whatever the, the, the thing is that you don't like about yourself. You'll notice it, but you'll only notice it if you listen back. And if it's cringeworthy to you, if after, you know, because everyone has a little bit of a transition period while they get used to the sound of their own voice, it can be kind of weird to hear it in a recording. But after you've gotten past that, if something is cringeworthy to you, if you're listening to an episode and you want to shut it off, your listeners want to shut it off. And so you need to fix whatever it is that is causing you to want to hit the stop button, the skip button, or if you're just completely disengaged from it. Speaking of engagement, engage the community. Engage the community. I was talking about my friends that record a, a they, they record once and then they just distribute those episodes out. And they bank them, which you might consider doing too. Record the first five, six, seven, even ten episodes and have those in the can ready to go before you launch your podcast. And that way you can make sure that you're delivering on consistency, you've done your listen-throughs, you've tweaked everything, making it sound the best you can. But the problem for me with doing that is I don't feel like the show has any breathing room. I don't feel like the show is alive. And so I do my show live every Tuesday at 6 p.m., and part of that is it's necessitated by the fact that it's a call-in show. So I have to have people to call in to ask the questions before I can actually produce a show. So pre-recording wouldn't work very well. But the other thing is I like to take input from the audience. I like to take input from the listeners, and then I like to implement that feedback. And if I had to wait six or seven weeks of releasing episodes when I knew there was something that I could improve upon, it would drive me nuts. And that's part of that engaging community. You need to make time to engage with your community. You need to answer questions. When people send you an email, when people say that they appreciate the show, you need to respond to them. You're always on the clock. I, again, I travel to conferences, and obviously when I'm at a conference, even if I'm there representing my, my quote-unquote day job, I get people all the time that'll run up to me and say, hey, I just want to let you know I love your show, I listen to it, I'm, I'm a big fan. And that is your opportunity to engage with that particular listener. That is your opportunity to make a really solid impression with that listener. And there are times that, that can be difficult. So I was in an airport in uh, California and we had just got done doing a marathon of broadcasting. 
And uh, I was flying through LAX, and uh, I sat down in a chair. I hadn't slept for like nine hours. Uh, well, 24 hours, and then it was like a nine-hour layover. And I just sat down in the chair because I was just going to relax. And this guy sits down next to me. He's like, hey, Noah, <laughs> love the show. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, there's nothing more at that moment that I wanted other than to just be left alone and so I could relax and preferably sleep. But the reality is that is his impression of me. And you are building a two-way relationship with your listeners. And you need to respect that and you need to understand that. And the people that try to do one-way podcasting where they just speak to their audience and not with their audience... Those are the people that don't make it because people eventually lose interest. Those are the people that eventually tune out. Those are the people that eventually move on. People like human interaction. People want to engage. And you need to take every opportunity to value your listeners because without your listeners, you don't have a show. And there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not deeply thankful for every single person that downloads, all 400,000 of them that download uh, the Ask Noah show. I have... I have deep respect for the listeners and I appreciate their engagement, but you need to make that effort. Growing the show can be difficult, but it's an important aspect. I allot four hours, like I said, show prep continues from the time the microphone goes off the week before until the mic comes back on. But I have four hours scheduled into my workday on Monday night before the show that we use to prep the show. And it's a four hour block that all I do is is work on fine-tuning the show. Now, by Monday night, I pretty much have a good idea what we're going to talk about. I have an idea about the topics. I've already talked to the guests. If there's, if we pre-recorded a guest, that's already probably been edited. But there are times I need to put on little final touches and stuff like that. And so there's a four-hour block that's set aside every week that I work on that show. I have, uh, at the end of the week, another four-hour block. So the same amount of time that I use prepping the show that we use to grow the show. So coming out and speaking at UND. Coming out and taking opportunities at conferences to speak, going out and um, you know, talking to the community. We hosted a meetup in uh, the Tamarack Tap Room in Woodbury, Minnesota, and we went and did a live show from Woodbury and hung out with people and just had dinner and, and just had a good time and, and chatted about technology and stuff like that. Growing the show, taking the time and planning to take the time to grow the show is important. You should spend as much time growing your show as you spend on the show itself and that's something that a lot of people look over and the fourth thing is prepare your show have the respect for your listeners to prepare the show take pride in what you're doing and take time and prepare what you're going to say before you say it i work with an on-air personality and he will come into the studio about 10 minutes before he goes on the air and because he is an expert and he is an expert in his particular profession but he'll sit down at the microphone and he'll he'll just he'll just you know freestyle it he doesn't there, no real planning whatsoever he has kind of an idea what he wants to talk about but he doesn't prepare any show notes he doesn't write out anything that he's going to say he doesn't make out an, he doesn't make an outline really no preparation at all and let me tell you something I can tell when I listen to his show that he hasn't prepped anything right he's stumbling he's flipping around he's going back saying uh, actually what I meant to say was oh by the way I should probably add that you know and he's he's all over the place you can t your listeners can tell when you're ill-prepared so you should prepare content in fact you should over prepare content every week that we air the Ask Noah show there are stories that uh, we have four or five stories that we don't even get to because we've run out of time. It's because I've overprepared. I have prepped far more content than we're ever actually going to use. But you know what? Listeners can tell when they listen to the show that it's very well prepared. 
that the, the topics are well thought out and that we know what we're going to say before we ever say it. So it's really at the time that the mic goes on, it's more of a performance, more so than a let's try and figure this out. So take the time to prepare your show. Now, the nuts and bolts of podcasting. You guys are so unbelievably fortunate to have these uh, podcasting studios back here. Uh, you have no idea. When, when, when people like Chris were starting out 10 years ago and they're recording inside of their garages and they're recording inside of their closets and they're using moving blankets to try to get some sound insulation, which, by the way, is a really great idea if anyone needs a podcasting studio on a budget, hang some moving blankets up a, in a circle, you'll get really good sound isolation. You guys have these state-of-the-art recording studio that, that are available. They're, are they available for free? Yeah, so I mean, I hope every one of you leave this presentation and continue to make content, not just as a function of the class, but a function of you think it's interesting and take a passion in it and want to do it. Take advantage of that because it's so cool. But if you're building a podcast studio for yourself, you're going to need some tools. Now, the first tool is my all-time favorite sub $100 microphone, and it's the Audio-Technica ATR2100. I don't have enough good things to say about this mic. First of all, it sounds pretty good. And I have every kind of microphone you can imagine over at the studio. We have everything from Neumann's U87s. I've got Shure uh, SM57Bs. I've got RE20s. i got PR40s. Uh, you name a microphone that's used for broadcast, and we probably have it. And that microphone is what we used last year at an event. Uh, we had a roundtable discussion, and I had two of those, and they sounded great. I mean, it's a really good-sounding mic. Not only is it a really good sounding mic, it's available for $69 second day Amazon Prime. So for under 70 bucks, you can have uh, a, a microphone that you can produce, I would say, content that has an audio quality better than 80% of podcasts out there. It, I mean, it really does. But it gets even better. When we speak, our speech is an analog thing, right? It's sound waves. And we have to convert those sound waves into ones and zeros so that we can upload them somewhere and distribute them. We use something called a digital audio converter, or commonly abbreviated a DAC, to convert the, our speech into ones and zeros. That $69 microphone that's available from Amazon has a built-in DAC. So you don't actually have to buy an outboard DAC. You can use it. There's a little USB port. You can plug it right into your computer. It doesn't require any drivers. Uh, you don't have to set anything up. You just plug it in. It shows up as a sound device. You can start speaking. You can start recording. And the last thing that makes that mic absolutely phenomenal is... It has an industry standard XLR connector. Now, the XLR connector is what is used in professional broadcasting to connect mics to the broadcast council or a small little mixer. So if and when you decide it's time to grow your show, to make your show bigger, you have the opportunity to plug that ATR2100 that's available for $69 on Amazon Prime into uh, a mixer and continue to use it. So even after you've outgrown the capabilities of the DAC, you can still continue to use it. The DAC also includes a headphone jack. When you're doing podcasting, you need to be listening to what your own voice sounds like as it's going into the mic. Because you'll notice things like breath sounds. You'll notice things like if you bump the mic. It's killing me right now to, to be recording, not actually be able to hear myself. You, you really start to depend on it. But you need to listen to what you're producing. You need to know what's coming what's going into your show. And that's, of course, twice as important if you have a guest. If you have somebody that's coming over Skype or something like that, you're going to have to have a way to listen to the show. And the ATR2100 has a built-in audio interface that sends audio as well as, as receives it. So you can have a pair of headphones, you can have the microphone all through that little USB cable. Absolute, hands down, best value microphone out there for under 100 bucks. We use them all the time. I absolutely love them. What you record into 
is a different story. You can use hardware recorders. They are available and they work very well. Um, but the, the, the cheaper, easier way to do it is with a free piece of software called Audacity. Now, Audacity is a very limited, basic version of what we call a digital audio workstation, or a DAW, a DAW. And Auda the thing about that is neat about Audacity is it does very basic things very, very well. And so if you talk, Veronica Belmont, who we've had on the show, uh, very well-known podcaster in the tech industry, has a reasonable size budget for her show, edits her show in Audacity. Uh, Chris Fisher has access to a number of different audio uh, editing softwares, edits a lot of his stuff in Audacity. And if you asked him, I need to record my voice, I want to do some basic editing, and I want to upload it, what should I use? He'd tell you Audacity. Absolute one of the best pieces of software out there, and it's available uh, at no additional charge to you. So I highly recommend you take a look at Audacity if you haven't played with it. It's available for Mac, Windows, and Linux. Uh, and is the, even the noise reduction actually in Audacity is, is better than that of Pro Tools or Reaper or name your DAW sonar. Uh, absolutely fantastic piece of software. Don't have enough good things to say about Audacity. After you've recorded, after you've produced your show, after you've done your listen through, after you've edited out the coughs, the, the breaths, the bumps, all that stuff, now you need to distribute that podcast out. Now we use something called the Real Simple Syndication Protocol. And basically what RSS is, is a method in which we can take a folder full of files and notify the users that a new file is there and push that file out to the user. Now, if you have some technical expertise, you can buy or repurpose an old computer and set it up as an RSS server and put your podcast on there and, and, and do all of that yourself. That is something you could do. But understand, you've got to maintain that machine. You have to update that machine. You have to have the technical expertise to get the thing to set up to begin with. So it's not really an ideal solution. And there are a lot of software uh, platforms out there that will do this for you at a nominal rate, one of which is Fireside. Fireside.fm. Now, I have an interesting perspective on Fireside because I never, I wasn't a, I wasn't doing podcasting back when um, the, the 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 tools of the past, as it were, were around. I've only ever used Fireside, and it wasn't until about three weeks ago when the podcast network changed a couple things up, and I had to publish my show to some legacy sources that I finally got some experience with some alternative RSS uh, platforms. And let me tell you. Fireside is so much better. I mean, leaps and bounds better. For starters, they don't charge you per storage. Almost everywhere on the internet charges you by the gigabyte of how you store footage. Fireside doesn't do that. They charge a flat fee, and you can upload as many episodes as you want. I think it's 25 bucks a month or $29 a month, something like that. As many episodes as you want. The second thing is they actually give you a built-in web page. So one thing that you're going to want to do with your podcast is provide notes for your listeners. So when you reference an article, when you reference a guest, when you talk about a given product, those should all be available to your listeners. So whatever episode that this particular presentation makes it in, if you want a copy of these slides, we'll have the slides in the show notes. And I'll say that right in the episode. You can go and check the show notes and I'll have more resources for you available there. Fireside gives you a website to put all of the show notes on and they give you a little applet that can go inside of your browser. So if you're browsing a web page, you're like, man, that'd be really cool. I'm going to use that in the show 
next week. Click on the little button, and it'll automatically pop up and say, what episode do you want to add it to? You click on the episode, and now it's added to the show notes. So there are times where I'll be on the air, because I, I have a horrible memory. There'll be times where I'm on the air, and a listener will call in, and they'll say, how do I do this? And I'll say, well, this is the tool I'd use, or this is the thing I'll use, and I have a link for you in the show note. Guess what? That link, I'd say 85% of the time, never winds up in the show notes. Why? I forgot. Fireside fixes that, because with that little, applet, that little bookmark applet thing, I can simply click on it, and it will automatically add it to the episode. And so even if I'm on the air, I can, I, I can do that. Absolutely phenomenal uh, tool, absolutely phenomenal platform. And by the way, I don't have any uh, affiliation with Audio-Technica or Audacity or Dan Benjamin, the guy who invented uh, Fireside, other than I did a customer testimonial for him because he makes a truly terrific product. But uh, you know, I'm not affiliated with any of these people or any of these products or services. They're just really, really good. So the question is, what does Fireside do that Google Analytics does not? Why is Fireside, why is it, or SoundCloud, why is it advantageous? That's a great question. Fireside was invented by Dan Benjamin. Dan Benjamin is a podcaster and a very successful podcaster, and he knew what he wanted from a, a publishing platform, but he didn't have it in Libsyn or SoundCloud or whatever. And so the data analytics are unreal in Fireside. So first, you upload your episode to Fireside. Then you tell Fireside all of the places that you would eventually like your listeners to be able to retrieve it. So TuneIn, Google Play, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, um, where else? Pocket Casts. Uh, all, of those, uh, all of those places that your listeners will eventually download your podcast. You only uploaded one file to one place and that link or that, that, that show is then available to all of those different various sources. The way that Fireside works is it generates a unique file name for every single person that clicks on the download button. So when I tell you that the Ask Noah show has almost 400,000 downloads, I can say that 400,000 unique downloads. Uh, we know that those are individual unique people that are downloading those shows. And Dan Benjamin will tell you that the analytics on Fireside are absolutely second to none, absolutely phenomenal. And so it streamlines the, what I, the answer I would give you as to what it offers over SoundCloud is it streamlines the process for publishing. The answer I would give you to what is the advantage over something like Google Analytics is it, it I, I believe that it tracks downloads more accurately. Uh, and, and, you know, you're going to have, obviously, you want to be publishing to iTunes and Google, and so you'd want to collect the, the, the stats from both. If you're publishing to Fireside, Fireside will keep track of all of the downloads, even places that essentially re-syndicate the show. So that would be my answer. That's a great question. Um, what can you do to make the show better? Let's say you have started your podcast, or let's say you finish this class and you're like, okay, well, I've gotten a good start. I'm building up some listenership. Now I want to make the show better. Where, If I had some money, if I had a budget, where could I invest in some, where could I put some money into my podcast? Well, the first thing you can do is do on-location broadcasts. Do on-location shows. Give your listeners the ability to come out and meet you, shake your hand, hang out with you. We did, like I said, we did a, a show at the Tamarack Tap Room in Woodbury, Minnesota. That was a really fun opportunity for me to be able to talk tech with the listeners to find out firsthand what they like about the show, what they don't like about the show, and build lasting relationships. One of the guys that I met there is actually going to help out with some of the post-production work. And that relationship came about because we did an on-location uh, event. Video. 
if you ask any podcaster that is doing a video podcast, they will tell you that they would love to go back 10 years in time and kick themselves in the rear for ever introducing video into their podcast because now they can't get rid of it and the overhead is tremendous. It will take you, I can get the show out from the time I get off the air till the time it's published and ready to go. The audio portion takes about six minutes. <coughs> the video portion of the show takes about 22 minutes and that is a highly streamlined process that has been developed over many years uh, that Jupiter Broadcasting has developed and, and I'm just kind of funneling my show through that process. But it will take you on average hours to set all of that stuff up to process video whereas it'll take you just a couple of minutes to process audio. That said, video can be an important <coughs> differentiator. A lot of people are producing audio shows because the b barrier to entry is low. It's much more difficult to produce a video podcast it's even more difficult to produce one that sounds good and, and is good and so if you can if you can if you can accomplish that you will set your product aside uh, above and beyond all of the other products that are out there better gear the ATR 2100 fantastic microphone have nothing bad to say about it but there are limitations with the microphone so for example if you want to have multiple guests, if you want to have multiple people doing your podcast, you're going to have to have a mixer to bring all of those people together. If you want to have a soundboard where you play sound clips, or maybe you're doing a news show and you want to play news clips, you're going to have to have a mixer and you're going to have to have a second computer to fire off those clips, those kinds of things. And the way we do that is with an outboard mixer or broadcast console. And so buying a more uh, featureful mixer or buying a better quality microphone uh, is a way that you can improve your show. Mix minus, and this kind of this kind of adds on to the mixer portion of it. Mix minus is one of the most confusing concepts to people that don't have an audio background. And <clears throat> I'm going to explain it, and I'll be honest with you, 90% of you aren't going to understand what I'm saying. The basic premise of a mix minus, mix mi you know that you need a mix minus when this happens. You're hosting a podcast, and you have a guest that you're, is going to connect to you, and you're going to record you and the guest. And so you plug the guest into the mixer, you plug yourself into the mixer, and you send the, uh, a copy of the audio out of the mixer back to the guest, and the guest says, I he keep hearing myself. It keeps echoing. It's, I don't understand. I, I keep hearing a, a copy of myself. It's really distracting. I, I don't know if I can do this. It's, it's really, I, I don't understand. That's how you know you need a mix minus. So when you come across that problem, even if you don't understand the example or the explanation I'm about to give you of mix minus, if you come across that particular problem, just know you need to Google mix minus and research a little bit about how to set it up. <coughs> mix minus is essentially we take the entire sum of the mixer minus the person that we are going to send the mix to, and then we send the mix to them. So we send the mix the entire mix of all of the things, the soundboard, the music, the bumper music, my audio, the other person that's in the studio, we send all of that back to the remote guest. The only channel missing, the only channel minus, is the guest. So mix everything in the studio minus the guest. And different boards have that set up different ways. There's, there's ways to do it with auxins. There's some mixers actually have a built-in mix minus capability. It, it, it all kind of depends. But the important thing is, if you're ever going to have a remote guest, <coughs> you're going to have to figure out mix minus. 
Now, there is a second way to get around the mix minus problem. Really, it's, it is a mix minus, but it's, it's a way of forcing the computer to do it for you. And that is called a double-ended recording. And a double-ended recording is exactly what it sounds like. Each user, at their own location, records a copy of just their audio. And if you're using the ATR2100, then you have an audio interface that you can listen to the guest, or the, the other co-host, whatever it is, and you have the microphone that is only capturing your audio. So if you, all you did was download Audacity and plug the ATR2100 into your computer, put some headphones on, and spoke into a microphone, you would have accomplished a mix minus. Okay? Their double-ended recordings have the advantage of being much higher quality than having a guest remotely connecting to you because Skype does what we call bit reducing. I don't like to use the word compression. Compression means something entirely different in the audio world. So I don't like to use the word compression. But Skype reduces the bit rate of the audio before it sends it, which means it's a lower quality audio. A double-ended recording means that you get the highest possible recording from both ends. And then it's simply a function of you take both of those recording, you drop each of them onto their own track in Audacity. Now, by the way, you can process each one of those tracks individually. So if the guest was a little bit low or maybe had some background noise, you can apply effects to just his track without applying the effects to your track. So double-ended recording is a really great way to accomplish both the mix minus and get a higher quality production value. And there are some tools, and, and I'll, I'll have some links and some suggestions for you of tools that you can use that will accomplish doing a double-ended recording. The easiest way, though, really is just to each of you fire up Audacity and record your audio. <coughs> and the last thing is ask for feedback. Ask for feedback from your audience and then act on that feedback. Every single episode at the very end of the show, I give people the links to where to download the show, uh, resources of where to find more about the show. I, I mean, in this presentation alone, I probably said, I probably said the name of the show, Ask Noah Show, numerous times, and I direct people to the website, and then I ask them for feedback. And then I act on that feedback. And it's very difficult not to be offended when you work for six, seven, eight, ten hours sometimes on a product, and the internet will not be nice to you, especially if they don't know you. People are they are very powerful behind a keyboard, and they don't they don't f filter their words. And so you're gonna the the feedback you'll get oftentimes will be very harsh. So try not to be offended. Try to understand that the person offering you feedback, even if it's said in a very trollish, not very nice manner, is better than the people that will just turn you off and not come back to your show. Okay, those getting any feedback is 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 better, and you need to. You need to act on that feedback, and you need to understand that that feedback is valuable. And there's a lot of people that I run into that will say, well, listen, I, this is why I did what I did, and those guys don't know what they're talking about. And it, it's true. Sometimes you will have 50% uh, of the people tell you one thing, and 50% of the people tell you the other thing. If that's the case, you're doing it right. Because pretty much every poll we take comes out 50-50. If you start seeing 60, 70, 80, 90% of your audience saying they don't like something or they want you to do something differently, that's the time to listen up and say, oh, well, maybe my perspective is wrong on this. Maybe they know something I don't. Uh, maybe I'm not looking at this the right way. So you definitely want to ask for feedback. You definitely want to act on feedback. And of course, nobody gets out of any presentation without 
a shameless self-plug. The Ask Noah Show airs every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central right here on 88.3 FM in Grand Forks and streamed online at AskNoahShow.com. We have an interactive chat room at JBLive.tv. That chat room is then broadcast as a video version, and I would imagine that some portion or all of the presentation will wind up as part or maybe all of an episode. Um, you can call in if you ever have a computer question, if you have a, a technical question, if you're trying to accomplish something, or if you have a podcast question or you're trying to, to get something off the ground. Tuesday nights, asknoahshow.com. Give me a call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Or you can send an email to live at asknoahshow.com, and we'll answer that question on the air. We provide all of the show notes, all of the resources, everything we talk about on the show, as well as all of the past episodes of the show at podcast.asknoahshow.com. So you can go there, you can download the show, or take a look at the show notes. Again, these slides will, again, I would imagine make it on there. Um, and last but not least, the radio station that I work for, KEQQ FM in Grand Forks, is offering an internship to UND students. So if you are interested in an in internship, uh, Come talk to me, or you can apply online at keqqradio.com slash internship. Now, here's the, the, the internship is unpaid, and so I'd imagine that would be a turnoff to a lot of you. But if I can, I'll give you the best elevator pitch I can. The, ed, the reason that we offered the, we're a small radio station. We don't have a large budget. And the reason that we're offering an internship is because we want to give back to the community, and we want to help the next generation of broadcasters. A lot of people will tell you that radio is dying. I don't think that's true at all. I think that radio is shifting. I think that there are outdated concepts. I think there are changes that need to be made to radio, but I don't think radio is dying. I would imagine the vast majority of you do not listen to uh, FM music, right? You got Spotify or you're listening to Pandora or something in the car, you're streaming it. And that's only going to get more prolific as we integrate uh, digital media things into the dashboard of the car itself. So newer cars are coming with built-in LTE and you can do all the streaming and stuff like that. But one, th one thing is true and it applies to podcasting, it applies to radio, it applies to television, it applies to any sort of independent content creation. People will go to where the content is that they want to hear. So I have an interest in uh, tiny house living, for example. I think it's a really cool thing. And the people that are doing that are doing that on YouTube. For me, YouTube is a very inconvenient way to consume content because I have to sit in front of my computer to do it. Uh, I don't like, I, I've got, you know, the NVIDIA Shield on my TV. I don't really like using it. So I have to sit down. It's an inconvenient way for me to consume content. But that's where the people that are making that content are. So that's where I listen to the show. If you listen to any of the talk radio stations in town and you get to know those talk radio personalities or you like what they have to say or you like the show they produce, you're going to listen to that station. If it's not available as a podcast, then you'll listen live. If it is available, you'll go download it you know, wherever it is. So I don't think that radio is dying, and I think that we have an opportunity to teach the next generation of broadcasters how to do radio, but I think we also have to accept that we can learn something from an internet savvy generation. So one of the things that I have been privy to, and I've seen this on both sides, on the podcast side, I have watched podcasters chase their tail, trying to reinvent the wheel to solve problems that have been invent that were solved 20 years ago by the radio community. And similarly, I have watched the radio station refuse to embrace the fact that we have this thing called the internet, and the internet is here to stay. It's not going away. It's not fading. It's it's as valuable as hot running water, and it's, pro it's as, as prolific as, as, as electricity. I still have discussions with the board members, and they'll say, 
well, I'm not really sure if we want to uh, if we want to we want to run this infrastructure on this internet thing because this internet thing might go out and it might drop off. Well, the power might go out, might drop off. Nobody here says, well, we shouldn't uh, invest in 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 heating because the 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 electricity might die and we wouldn't be able to heat the buildings. So we better continue to put in you know wood burning stoves. Uh, at some point, we need to just accept the fact that the internet is here to stay. And I have watched the the radio broadcasting community time and time again refuse to acknowledge the newer technologies that would make their life easier. So if you're interested in an internship, I can't, I can't promise you any money, but what I can promise you is that the experience you have will be entirely tailored to your uh, benefit. The entire experience is tailored to what you will get out of it, and it will be a stepping stone to bigger and greater things. And so if you're interested in an internship, we'll, we'll work one-on-one -on -one with you uh, and I'm, in as far as I know, I'm in charge of that internship program at the radio station. So, I, and I will work with you one on one, and and give you com the, the the time of day and complete undivided attention uh, to 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 make you the best broadcaster that we can. So, if you're interested in that, kqqradio.com/internship or just uh, talk to me after the presentation. Does anybody have any questions? Yeah, go for it. So the question is. Does Fireside off, offer the ability to publish to places like SoundCloud? And the answer is yes. Well, the answer is, the, the technical answer is, Fireside gives you a RSS feed, and any place that can accept that RSS feed can distribute the content. So I'd have to look specifically if SoundCloud accepts external RSS feeds. I believe that they do. I think that's one of the options. I couldn't tell you with definitive certainty, but I'll look. What you'll find is that the vast majority of people, again, people will go to the content where it is. So if you create a really great podcast and people are like, listen, I really want to, uh, I really want to learn uh, you know, about uh, Star Wars and I, I like talking about Star Wars, I like hearing about Star Wars, they're going to go wherever you publish. If you publish to YouTube, they'll be there. If you go to SoundCloud, that's where they'll come to find you. But if they don't know about you, they need to be able to discover you. And... Most people are not browsing SoundCloud. Um, some people do, but most people are not just sitting on SoundCloud going through various things. They either come they either stumble across your show or they use an app like Pocket Casts and it has recommended podcasts. So they listen to uh you know, they were listening to a Star Trek podcast or they listened to uh, a, a thing about the, the latest movies or, you know, whatever it is. And then your podcast came up as a, suge a suggested podcast and then they'll download your show. And so what I would say is if, if it's available on SoundCloud, now we'll look and find out for sure. Um, but even if it's not available on SoundCloud, I would submit to you that there is it is it is more advantageous to be available on the on like the mobile apps than it would be to be available on just SoundCloud, and you know worse you know the other thing is too is so we publish our show uh, again to Fireside, but there's also uh, uh, there's uh, there's various different components of the show, and I publish those by hand. So I'll give you an example. There's a particular format that a group in the audience wants. It's not really germane to this discussion, but the the point is that the my particular audience is a technical savvy audience, and they want the show in a very particular format. Yeah, og. Yes, right. Exactly, og. And so, and the 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 problem is, everybody under the sun. No, he's probably one of maybe there's. Has anybody else heard of og? Yeah, I didn't think so. So, so Tim, you know, really understands audio and, and production and workflow and stuff like that. And so he's heard heard of it. But the vast majority of you have not heard of og, but you've heard of MP3. 
which means when people are designing players on computers and s uh, smartphones and all that stuff, they target MP3. They focus on MP3 because that's what everyone uses. Uh, but I know for a fact that there is a section of my audience that wants that podcast available in AUG. And Fireside does not support publishing AUG format. So what I do is I manually publish that file uh, separately for those people that want to retrieve that file. And it's a very small section of the audience, and so I don't, we don't spend a lot of time, we don't spend a lot of effort. In fact, I, maybe I've mentioned it once or twice on the show, but the people that want the show know that I'm making that effort and appreciate that, uh, and, but it's just something I have to do separately. So let's say you, for some reason, you just really wanted to be on SoundCloud. You could publish on Fireside and SoundCloud. You just have to, you know, might have to do it manually, and I'll look for you and find out if, if Fireside can publish directly to SoundCloud. Any other questions? Anytime I don't get questions, uh, one of two, I always figure one of two things happened. Either I've explained things so well that nobody has any questions at all, or I have c totally lost everybody. Yeah, go for it. Great question. So the question is, what do you do about copywritten material? Can you use copywritten material? How, how does that work? There is something called the fair use uh, clause, and the fair use clause really is written by attorneys to only be understood by attorneys so that you can never understand where the line actually is. That's the honest to God truth. So when you publish things that have copywritten material, if it's a short clip and you're not just whole hog ripping it off, you're just exemplifying it or something like that, that is considered fair use. And so you, you can technically use it. Here are some of the problems you're going to run into. And we actually dealt with this with my show. I purchased audio to, for the bumper music for the in, that intros the show. I purchased it. I paid for music. But Google, in their infinite wisdom, has this idiotic Python script that goes through and scans everything you upload into YouTube. And if it finds something that, has a pre that, that somebody anywhere in the history of time has ever said, I own that piece of material, they just automatically flag it and they'll flag your video. Just because it's copywritten. And then there's this dispute process that you can go through, which I did the first, you know, whatever, 35 times before I got sick of it. Uh, this, this dispute process that you can go where you never interface with a human being. If you're lucky, within a week, sometimes they'll get back to you and remove the flag. Oftentimes they just leave it. It, it is an extraordinary pain. So what I suggest is finding music that is licensed under something called Creative Commons. And Creative Commons uh, license basically allows you to use the music for any any purpose and oftentimes music that is licensed uh, as Creative Commons will by the very nature that there's a Creative Commons license associated with it won't be flagged by YouTube. Um, honestly if I'm being totally honest with you what we ended up doing was hiring a, uh, a, uh, a music composer to actually custom write the theme show for the song or the th theme song for the show because I got sick of dealing with those YouTube claims. So the answer to your question is, yes, you can use copywritten material. There are a number of little caveats that you're going to run into if you do it. Uh, Follow-up question, could you, is our news clips going to get you flagged? Probably not. Um, if it's, again, if you have an entire, seg if it's very, very popular, if it's a very, very popular uh, segment and you aired a lot of it, uh, that will sometimes lead to a copyright claim. Most of the time, though, and Jupiter Broadcasting actually hosts a show called Unfilter where they have, uh, where it's a news show, and they talk about politics and news and stuff like that, and uh, it's exactly that. They actually take video clips from CNN, from Fox News, uh, uh, you know, from MSNBC, and they play them 
inside of the show and then provide commentary on them. And as f to the best of my knowledge, that has not resulted in flags unless, again, it's some sort of popular or controversial clip, in which case there's a whole other thing that, that goes into that. Any other questions? So question is, what, what ways can you, what, what can you do to increase the audio quality of a remotely connected host? There's a couple different things you can do. So the question, your question of do I connect the phone to the mixer? Yes, you do that. But, and this is where we get back into the mix minus discussion. So let's say you plug the headphone, let's say that the phone, I know that it's all one jack, but let's say you broke it out and there's a microphone jack and a headphone jack. It's all one plug on the iPhone or on, on modern Android phones. But let's just say for the purpose of discussion that you've got two separate jacks, a microphone jack and a headphone jack. And you plug the headphone jack of the phone into the mixer. Okay, Now you can hear that person. When they talk and it comes out of the phone, it goes into the mixer. That's good, right? But how does that person hear you? How does that person hear the music so they know that why you're not talking? So during the intro, they're not saying, hey, did we lose a, con we lose a connection? What's going on? We have to feed the audio from the mixer back to the phone. So let's say we plugged a jack from the headphone jack of the mixer into the phone. Well, what's going to happen? When your remote guy talks, the audio comes into the mixer. And of course, there's a little bit of a delay because it has to transition over the phone, right? <coughs> so from the time he says it, there's maybe, uh, maybe up, up to a half a second that it takes for the audio to get into your mixer from when he actually spoke the words. And then it comes out of the headphone jack and goes back into the phone and gets sent back to him again with another half second delay. So he says a word, and one second later, he hears himself come back. That's where we get into the discussion of mix minus. You have to remove his audio from being sent back to him. And I, I recognize, it, and if you feel totally lost when I explain the concept of mix minus, don't, because every, it, is, it is the most confusing thing in the world until you actually sit down and start playing with it. And once it clicks, it will click hard. You'll be like, oh, now I get it. Here's a, here's a, a, a tool or a resource that you can use to facilitate getting uh, remote audio. There is a website called Source Connect, and it's a free service. You can sign up for free, uh, now.sourceconnect.com. And what Source Connect does is it will establish a wideband codec. So what do, what, what do I mean when I say wideband? The audio, audio can be encoded in a, in a number of different ways. And so we have narrowband codecs, and that's what we use on phones. They're, they're, very, they're very small. They have, represent just a, a small frequency spectrum, which is why phones typically sound bad. You know when somebody is calling in on a phone over the radio, right? You can tell that's different from the guy. You can hear the difference between that and the guy that's actually in the studio. Well, Source Connect uses what we call a wideband codec. It actually uses the Opus codec. Now, Opus is an interesting codec because it's built into every Chrome browser uh, as a plug-in. And so you have a built-in audio encoder into your web browser. And Source Connect leverages that and allows you to have an in-studio quality connection from your remote guest. The second thing that Source Connect does, it's very useful, it allows you to do a double-ended recording. So you can both connect over Source Connect. It's kind of like Skype, except it sounds 10 times better, or FaceTime, 20 times better. And you can record your side and record their side, and you'll be able to get a, a wave file of each of those individual tracks. And then you can put those into Audacity and you can edit them and process them separately. So Source Connect is a, is a really popular way uh, to, to accomplish both a double-ended recording and facilitating a remote guest.
that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, asknoahshow.com. Six o'clock tonight, we'll be live taking questions on tech-related stuff. You can stream it at asknoahshow.com or listen to it on the radio at 88.3 FM. And I'll hang around if you guys have any questions or if you want to talk about the internship.